we, we started our series a couple weeks ago on The Good Shepherd, and uh, it's been a joy uh, bringing uh, this well-known psalm kind of back to life. I mean, it's something that uh, we can be in a lot of different settings, hear it in different ways, and uh, we can kind of check that off of, well, you know, I, I, I know this psalm, uh, but my prayer is that God will uh, use it in your life uh, here this morning. And so we are going to really see the kind of the second promise that we have from this text of when we, when the Lord is our shepherd, when we have been uh, bought by the Lord, when we belong through birth and through the blood uh, into the family of God, into this flock, that there come promises with that. And so we're going to look at the second one uh, here this morning, and it's the fact that he restores us. Let's just pick it up in verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And it says, he restoreth my soul. And then so last week we learned that he leads us. And we looked at the end of verse 3 as well last week. But we've seen the great blessing that any of us can know. And it is to be wholly owned by the Son of God. To be bought and born into the flock of God. Now, the world believes that freedom comes from being your own master. But the Christian knows that the greatest comfort in life and death is to know that you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price, as the Apostle Paul says, and you belong to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when you belong to that flock of God, there are certain things that the shepherd will do for you. He will lead you, as we learned last week. He will lead you in rest. He will create an environment in our lives that will want us to lie down in green pastures. So if we have this concept, uh, uh, me and some other folks after Sunday, last Sunday, we're talking about it. If we think that God makes us lie down, then we're, we're missing the text. No, he creates an environment to where we want to lay down because Jesus gives us that, the, that rest and then he leads us into the to right paths, paths of, of righteousness. But today we come to this second great gift that is yours and that is mine if we belong to the shepherd. And so if you do not belong to the shepherd, if you've not submitted to what the shepherd Jesus Christ has done for you and for your sin, then make today that day and what I will preach this morning will be your amazing reality. So David says, the Lord, he is my shepherd and he restores me. So this good shepherd restores. He not only leads, but, but he restores and so at some point in your life, you're going to need every single verse in this psalm. But to me, these four words are the most wonderful of all. He restoreth my soul. Now listen, this is a present tense verb. And so what David is saying is, is that God has restored me many times in the past, and he is restoring me right now as well as in times of in the future. So why is this so important? Why do, we, why do we need this, this beautiful gift that comes with having a, a shepherd? If he's leading us, if he's leading the sheep as we learned last week, then 
Surely we're not going to need this. I mean, I mean, obviously we take it into the New Testament. Jesus says he's our leader, so I'm not going to need restoring. I'm not going to need any of that, Ryan. Why would we focus in on this? Though the shepherd leads us, we often go astray. And when we go astray, we don't know how to get back. Just as when, a sh- when the sheep go astray, they also, they don't, they don't know how to find their way back. And so God, He led His people in the wilderness. We've kind of talked a little bit about that at 10 o'clock when going through Exodus. He made Himself visible. He was present by way of a cloud of, of, of fire by night and a cloud, of, of, uh, a cloud by day for them. And so they, all they had to do was follow Him. But you know the story, the grumbling, the complaining, God, you're not doing enough for us. And their heart, all they had to do was just just follow the Lord. But you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to, I guess in their mind, something that was cushier than wandering in the wilderness. And when they were about to enter into the promised land, their faith completely faltered. So here's the problem this morning for us. The Lord leads his people but we do not find it easy to follow. Now, if you're honest, you know that this is a great contradiction in your very own life. You love the Lord. You wouldn't be here if you didn't love the Lord, but your heart also wanders. You, you love the Lord. You would claim, absolutely, I, you know, Jesus is supreme. I love the Lord, yet your obedience falters. Your faith sometimes burns low. And in your final salvation, if it was dependent on your consistency of following the shepherd, you would never arrive home safely if it was up to you. I would never arrive home safely if my arrival was based on me following the one that leads me into green pastures so I can lie down, so I can enjoy some rest, and then into paths of righteousness. We rest so we can work. Often we get it flip-flopped. We work and then we think we need to rest. No, no, no. Get your favor and your power from the Lord and then you go live that life. It's a beautiful depiction here in Psalm 23. But God's leading us into that and yet if it was based on me following, I'm not making it safely home. So thank God for this wonderful truth that we're going to look at today. He restores my soul, David says. So I want you to ponder with me here this morning. First of all, the great shepherd retrieves us when we wander. He retrieves us. It says that he restores my soul in verse 3. God uses the image of, of sheep to describe us as his own people. See, believers... They wander. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, all we are like sheep. Having gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so there's this, there's this concept that all of us are wanderers. And so the story that Jesus told about the good shepherd in Luke chapter number 15 uh, was that he would retrieve the sheep who was, who was lost. And as he's on his, way, uh, on his way back, he returns with the lamb on his shoulders and he says in verse number six, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, of course, the parable certainly can illustrate how Jesus saves unbelievers, but it's first 
an application is to sheep that belong to the shepherd. A sheep that's either been birthed into his flock or he's gone out and he has purchased it. Just as Paul tells us that we as believers, we've been bought and we've been birthed into this family of God. And so it needs to be brought back. That's the first application of Luke 15 when you're thinking through the coin and and the sheep and then ultimately, of course, the prodigal son. Believers wander. And when this happens, the shepherd goes after his lost sheep until he finds it. That's literally what the text says. So Jesus is saying he's going to leave the 90 and 9 and he's going to go after the one in verse number 4 until he finds it, Luke 15 says. So he's going to go on a search for us when we wander away from him. What a beautiful picture this is. It's the same truth in the parable of the prodigal son later in Luke 15. He is a son. He belongs to the Father. There are all of the the beauties and the wealth of being a part of the family, and yet there's something in him. He's part of the family. He's been given given everything, and yet something's pulling at him. He wants to go his own way. He wants to pull away from the Father. This is our position as Christians, believers. We are a part of God's flock. We belong to the Father, We have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have been birthed into the family of God also through that blood, Peter tells us in 1 Peter. We've been redeemed. We are new creations. And yet, there remains in you and there remains in me this wandering in us. Oh, we love the Lord and yet we have these weak, faltering moments. The great Hem writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So why are you prone to wander? I want you to ponder that for a moment. So we have this great leader. We have this great leader of the church and of believers, Jesus Christ. But why are you prone to wander? Why am I prone to wander? Well, Paul, he gives us a little bit of insight into this. The Spirit has given us new life, but we live this new life in the flesh. Galatians 2.20 says, I am, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And notice what he says, the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice the twin realities of the Christian experience. We live by faith in the Son of God, but we live this life of faith in the flesh. So God's saving work for sure, for sure was a one-time thing of the, of the justification and even we're sanctified in Jesus Christ. But there's that practical side of where we are growing more and more like Christ, which hath begun a good work, Paul said, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so there's this, there's this kind of process of this sanctification work in us. That's why Paul would have said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, us who are being saved. It's this kind of process. We will ultimately fully be like him at, at some time. It's this present tense process is going on. And until the day we arrive safely home, which is in Psalm 23, we're going to wander. There's going to be times when you wander. There's going to be times when I wander. Octavius Winslow, I've used, I used this quote in, a, in our previous study through 1 Peter. 
it's, it's in his book, Personal Declension and Revival of Religion in the Soul. Here's what he says. I want you to listen to it carefully. If there is one consideration more humbling than another to a spiritually minded believer. So if you're a spiritually minded believer and you're kind of wondering through this, he says, let this sink in. That after all God has done for him or done for you, there should still exist in the heart a principle, the tendency of which is to secret, perpetual, and alarming departure from God. That even if we are great lovers of Jesus, if we would, our testimony would be, I want to follow the leader. He's the great, Jesus is the great leader of the church. What, what Winslow is saying here is that even in someone that is, that, that is biblically rich, maybe in their mind, there's this tendency to almost like secretly sometimes drift away from the Lord. My friends, that is the reality of the Christian experience. And David knew it. Don't deny it this morning. Don't sit there and think, well, no, that's not me. I'm always red hot for Jesus. I think all of us, if we're honest, we're like, no, this is kind of seasonal sometimes for me. David, he had a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart, God literally said in Acts of him. And yet there, there was these desires in his heart that overwhelmed this love and dragged him into self-destructive sins. We know a lot of those. They're depicted on Scripture. Aren't you glad your sins aren't in like a recorded book for everybody else to read? I'm glad mine aren't. But David, he understood this. And so if it were not for the truth that we're looking at today, that would have been the end for David. And our sins would have been the end for us as well. But there's good news. There's a good shepherd. And that shepherd in this new covenant is, type, is, is Jesus Christ. And he's seeking. He's, he's going after us. He is restoring us. Now, what does that look like? How does, he, how, does he re, how does he restore us when we wander? Well, if you go to the book of Revelation, I'd like for you to do that. We'll come back here to, uh, to Psalm 23. But go to Revelation chapter 2. The risen Lord Jesus, he, he's speaking to the seven churches. Uh, the first of these was the congregation in Ephesus. These were some good people. I want you to see this. We'll jump into verse number two. So he's writing to the church there in Ephesus. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the, um, he's the golden candlesticks in the midst there. And I know thy works, speaking of Ephesus, I know thy works and I know your labor. I know, he says, I know your, I know your patience. You know what he's saying? You are a hard-working people. He says, I know thy works. I know thy labor. I know thy patience. You're hard-working. And how thou cannot bear them which are evil. You, you, you're upright. Those that are evil, it doesn't, it doesn't quite jive with you. You're, you're, a, good, you're a good church. You're, you're an upright church. You don't allow evil to be rampant within your church. And it says, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And you have and hast found them liars. Here's what Jesus is saying. You are a discerning people. 
You're able to, you're able to find out, hey, hey, what's good and what's bad? And then you have the discernment to know what is bad. You're a hardworking people. You're an upright people. You don't, you don't allow evil. You're a discerning people. Notice verse 3, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You, for Christ's sake, you've been loyal. Through it all, you've been loyal. But nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because thou hast left thy first love. So it is possible to be hardworking, upright, discerning, and loyal believer, and yet lose your first love. It's possible to be doing for God, be active for God from the outside looking in on your life and would say, you know what, that is a phenomenal Christian. And hear me, you can be so checked out. Let me say we can be so checked out that we have fully in our hearts wandered from the Lord. We are just checking boxes. We're just doing what we think that we ought to be doing. And here's what is so alarming. When sheep wander away from the shepherd, they don't know how to get back. And so when you lose your first love for Christ, you don't know how to get it back either. But David tells us some good news. You don't have to get it back. The Lord, he restores us. The Lord goes after us. He's reminding us. He's trying to get those that have been lost. And he restores us and reminds us of what we've lost. Look at verse number five. Remember, therefore. So he's like, you all are super active. You've lost your first love. You're not doing it for the, with the right motive. So remember where, from whence thou art fallen and repent and then do the first works. So restoration begins with an honest recognition that we've been lost. Acknowledge that even though you are a hard worker, upright, discerning, and loyal, your heart has become cold. On, be honest, it, I've not always been like this. There was, there was a season when, 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 when it was different. The truth is that you've gone backwards. You've lost some ground. Better things were once true of you and better things can be true of you again. Remember from where you have fallen. That's going to lead you then to repentance. You see that this is the, the words of Christ to a, a church in Ephesus. And you see it as the story also of the prodigal son. He had wandered far from life. He had wandered from where he had been born, where he had been part of this beautiful family. He was a a son. He had a kind and loving father, yet he squandered what he had been given. He wasted his time, his money, and his strength. But then he remembered when he came to himself and said, I have many hired servants. My father had bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? This is crazy. What am I doing? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee he remembers, and then he repents. So Jesus says, I want you to remember. Remember where you came from. What Jesus is saying is, remember that salvation. Remember what you were and what you are now. Preach the gospel to yourself. Allow the gospel once again to be preached to you and let it lead to repentance. The son, what am I doing? This is what I had. I had this beautiful relationship with my father in this home with all of the food. And I'm starving out here. Why? Because I've wandered. So I'm going to return. I'm going to repent. That's us. That's exactly what we need at times. I've lost my peace. I've lost my joy. 
I'm a hardworking, upright, discerning, and loyal, but I've lost my first love with Christ. I need him to restore my soul. I'm praying that, that, that in God's kindness, this will happen for some of us today. I don't know your heart. God does. That God will bring some restoration. What a beautiful gift this is from God. And David says that he remembered the joy. He said, God, would you bring it back to me? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. That's what David said in Psalm 51. He's, he's repenting of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. He's repenting of all that. And he's like, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He wasn't getting saved again. He was being restored back into beautiful fellowship. And that's what we need if we're out. If we're wandering this morning in our lives, remember and then repent. Beautiful what God does as he is bringing us back. But then there's another area of this that is so fascinating. And that's the good shepherd revives us when we falter. Sometimes we need to be restored because we wander away from the shepherd. The root of the problem lies in maybe our sin or the folly of our life. But there is also time when God's restoration um, then, then went more than just when we wander. Philip Keller, he worked for many years as a shepherd, and he wrote an incredible book that's called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And he described a condition in which a sheep becomes cast, C-A-S-T. It can happen when the sheep's fleece is long and heavy or when it's carrying little baby lambs. So the problem in either case is the weight that the sheep is carrying. So if the sheep lies down on its side, it's doing okay. But if it rolls over onto its back, it's soon going to be in trouble, Clark tells us about. Keller, excuse me. So it can't right itself back up. So if a sheep is lying on his back and it, it's, it has this girth, it's called cast, he can't, he can't get back up onto its side to, where, to be able to stand back up. When a sheep is on its back, it cannot restore itself. And here's what Keller says. Listen, as it lies there struggling, gases begin to build up in the first stomach. As they expand, they tend to retard and cut off blood circulation to extremities of the body, especially the legs. Keller goes on to say, he describes how as a shepherd, he would restore a sheep. I would have to lift her onto her feet, then straddling the sheep with my legs, I would hold her erect, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation back into her legs. This often took quite a little bit of time. When the sheep started to walk again, she often would stumble, stagger, and collapse once again. But a little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. So the good shepherd restores us even when we falter. Oh, it might not be something that's sinful in our lives, but we've just gotten to a place where we're, a little, we're just a little out of whack. There are many examples of faltering in Scripture but I'm going to narrow it down just to a handful here. This idea of carrying heavy weight. Do you ever have to carry a lot of weight? I look back on the last seven days and I'm thinking, yeah, in my, my particular life, this was, just a, this was just a weighty and, and heavy week. 
But there's a lot of areas here in Scripture that, that, that I want to show you. And some of them are going to be very familiar to you. Faith can falter when we're disoriented by injustice. A lot of, a lot of injustice in our society today. But Psalm 73, verse 2 says, But as for me, my feet were amongst gone. My steps, I'm ready to slip. This was Asaph's story. He was the worship leader for, for God's people in the time of King David. And he wrote several of the Psalms. And one of them, in Psalm 73, he tells us that his life, that, that, that he's struggling. He's, he's, getting ready to, he's getting ready to stumble. He's getting ready to, to, to lose his faith, maybe. Here's a man that's in vocational ministry. He's leading others in worship, but his own faith is faltering. And the reason was that he was disoriented by injustice. He says in verse 3, listen to this, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's looking and he's like, this is so wrong. Why are they being so blessed? Look how wicked they live. Look how good I'm trying to live. And then here's what I get. It's just seemingly injustice. And so he's like, I'm about to fall over. My feet are about to come out from underneath me. I'm about to falter because I just, I can't, I can't reconcile the two here. It should be the other way around. They should be faltering because of the wicked way that they're living. And I should be flourishing because of you fill in the blank. Maybe you work hard, you're loyal, all the things in Revelation chapter number two. Or how about Elijah's story? When there's so much conflict that's going on. And at the end of it, he says, I, even I only, am left. He had engaged in a great struggle and he had exhausted him of all of his strength. At one point, it seemed that the whole world was against him. The king, the queen, the prophets of Baal, and even God's people had begun to turn themselves against, to idols, to, against him and to idols. And God stood with Elijah, right, when that, when that fire came down at Mount Carmel and everyone knew that, that his Lord was Jehovah, was the God of heaven. But this conflict exalted, exhausted Elijah. And after Mount Carmel, he found himself alone in the desert, sitting by himself. Jezebel was like, I'm going to have you dead. And you know what he says? I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. Have you ever felt all alone? Have you, felt, have you ever felt like you're the only one going through something? And so conflict after conflict after conflict. Sometimes I got like seasons of that in my life. And it's like, man, this, is this worth it? Conflict after conflict. Here's a godly man quite convinced that his life has no useful future purpose. Just let me die, Lord. Just let me die. I, only I, am left. Elijah had been drained by conflict. And now his faith was beginning to falter. How about your faith begins to falter when you don't see the outcomes that you want. The church of Galatia, let's not be weary in well-doing for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. This is the story of the believers in Galatia. Paul says to them, Man, don't, grow, don't, don't grow weary of your good works. Don't grow weary of living for God in a world that is so 
anti-God. You ever notice that in our area? Really, it's the whole world, but like our area. Hello, the louder you live for Jesus, the more persecution you face, the more, the more looks you get. And so why would Paul say that? Because these people were working so hard, but they were disappointed in the outcome. And so Paul, he's coming along and he's like, hey, don't get weary. Don't falter in your good doing. Don't. Sometimes you don't have the outcome that you want. Hence, then you want to give up. Or the Christians in Hebrews in verse number 32 to Hebrews 10 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of affliction. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe you're publicly shamed, reproached, their property had been stolen. Literally, because they became a Christian, they were completely, everybody was against them. At first they embraced the suffering with faith and even with joy, but as time went on, suffering took its toll. It can sap your strength. Losing someone, you can drain, you can drain your energy. It sucks the very life out of you. Most of us can endure our suffering for a time, but when it goes on and on and on, it becomes disheartening and our faith can begin to falter. So, how does the good shepherd restore that? Maybe you're seeing injustice. Maybe you are under demand of, of, just, uh, of just suffering or a load of conflict or whatever it is that's causing you to say, is this worth it to, 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 keep my, to keep my banner for Jesus flying high? Is it really worth it in 2022? Is it worth it? Well, Asaph, Elijah, the Galatians, Hebrews, and I skipped Paul. They were all faltering. And what does God do? Well, God restored Asaph through the course of his work. Later in Psalm 73, it says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. It's referring to all the injustice. It's not fair how this is happening to me. It's too much for me. But then it says in verse number 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I there the end. So you know what he did? He went and started worshiping. He went and started just fulfilling his work. And so sometimes through the course of you just doing your work, God can restore you. God can bring a back perspective for you. How about for Elijah? You know what Elijah needed? Elijah needed some rest. Elijah needed a good old meal. And so God allows him to go to sleep under a juniper tree and wakes him up with an angel with some food. Listen, sometimes you just need a good night's sleep. And God's using a normal thing to restore you. It's so cool. It doesn't always have to be this miraculous thing. Sometimes you just need to go down for a nap. Amen? Any nappers in here? No? A couple of you? Man, who goes for three hours? No, no, don't raise your hand for that. But sometimes you just need a good old nap. And you know what God will do? In the, just the course of just human life, he's going to refresh you. He's going to restore you. The Galatians, they use, he uses Paul. Paul says, hey, don't be mocked. Whatever is sown will also be reaped. Sometimes you don't always see it. You're only seeing the surface. But I am doing a work. Let me encourage you to keep going forward. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so, listen. Keep going. Keep working. He restores the, the Hebrews that have been suffering with a great encouragement. 
of chapter 11 of all of the men and women that also suffered and they came through gloriously with their faith in Christ. And then chapter number 12 is the great, says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. And then verse number 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. In other words, get going by looking to Jesus. And so the good shepherd knows how to revive you when you falter. He can revive you in the course of your work like Asaph. He can revive you through a time of rest like Elijah. He can revive you by a fresh glimpse of the promise of Jesus like the, uh, the, like the Galatians. And then he can revive you with a challenge of, hey, once you look to Jesus, look to the author and finisher of your faith. Get up. Don't falter. Keep pressing on. This is what the shepherd does for us. He restores us. But he does it himself. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He restoreth my soul. See, Jesus does this himself. He restores the wandering, faltering sheep and he brings them home. We've looked at some examples of faltering faith. In each of them, God's used different means to restore his people. But each time is God himself drawing near to you. God gave Asaph the assurance that there's going to ultimately be justice. God showed Elijah that the cause of truth was not lost, that there were thousands that had not bowed the knee to Baal. And this next generation that God was rising up was going to do great and mighty things. God lifted the Galatians with a promise of a glorious reward. You keep sowing. You keep doing right. You might not see it in this life, but to God's glory, he is going to reap a harvest. God stirred the Hebrews by showing them that they were walking in the paths of Jesus. Jesus suffered just like we did, and you can look to him. The Lord, he's my shepherd. The Lord, he, he restores my soul my friends, you cannot restore yourself. I cannot restore myself. We can't restore ourselves any more than we can save ourselves. We, none of us can save ourselves. Only Jesus Christ is the one that can save us. And Jesus is the one that can restore us. And he restores us through a fresh encounter with himself in which God himself draws near. William Cowper knew what it was like to battle with dark days of depression in his life. And he wrote a song in one of them, and he expresses how God restored him. Notice what he says. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. Do you know that I pray sometimes that on a Sunday morning for our worship service? That God would use the singing of our service to lighten your load. That God would use the worship unto an amazing God and creator that he would just maybe lift your burden a little bit. William says, sometimes the light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. See, God may surprise you by how he comes alongside you and lifts you up. Could just be a nap. It could be a meal. I skipped the Apostle Paul, and I shouldn't have. Paul was struggling a little bit, and God gives him Titus. God gives him a friend. 
Sometimes God will bring somebody by you. You are, you, you're faulting, faltering. You're struggling. You're, you're considering wandering. Oh, you've not wandered yet, but, but, but you're right there. Is this really worth it? I, I, I'm just, I, may, I, I, I might be done with this. And God might bring a friend by you. It's not always these bright lights in the sky. It's not always this incredible sunset where God like speaks to you through that. Not audibly, but I think you know what I mean. Sometimes it's just, oh, I wake up and you're just, the burden's gone. Or you get a really, really good meal. Any of you hungry? I'll keep preaching. Any of hungry? Man, I'm hungry. Sometimes he uses a friend. Sometimes he says, hey, someone's gone before you with this, like he did with the Hebrews. God is able to restore you. God gave life to your soul. He's able to restore life to your soul. Alive in Christ. And he's able to keep you alive in Christ. And when God restores you, he's going to do it gently. David said in Psalm 18, Thou hast also given me the shield of my salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Think of the shepherd rubbing the legs of the sheep when it's fallen over. Think of the patience, the tenderness, the perseverance to, I just learned this this week, to kind of straddle that sheep so that as it's getting a little bit wobbly, that's what he does for you. That's what he does for me. Man, when you blow it this week, God's not going to just kick you out of the family. He's going to restore you. When you wander this week, listen, God might use a friend to bring you back. Don't demonize that friend. That's a gift from God. I want to bring you back. This is the place of blessing. In the fold, under the Father's tutelage, with the food of the Father. This is where you should be. And that's what he does. He's a good shepherd, my friend. He makes the place so amazing that you want to lie down. He leads you into the right paths. Sometimes he takes you away from something that's good. Remember the sheep, though? If you, if you let them keep eating, they're going to keep eating. They're going to rip the roots all the way up. So sometimes they're going to take you out of a good, good place and take that sheep to somewhere else. I don't want to leave. It's for your good. And he restores you. Because all of us are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And he goes on a great pursuit to bring you back. It's amazing. The hymn, the king of love my shepherd is. I love what it says here. Perverse and foolish, often I strayed. And yet in love he sought me. And on his shoulders gently laid and home rejoicing brought me home. Mm. Are you wandering this morning? Then sense a gentle shepherd coming after you that wants to kind of pick you up, put you on his shoulders, and rejoice all the way home. Hey, we're bringing another one back. Let him bring you back. You've wandered a little bit, let him bring you back. You're faltering a little bit. You're wondering, hey, hey, sh should I wander? Notice the patience and the care of the human element of a shepherd and know how patient and caring the God of heaven is for us.
And the fact that he does this, that he restores you, proves that you're going to make it home safely. Because you can't restore yourself. So he's going to come and he's going to restore you. He's going to remind you of what you had. He's going to preach the gospel to you. Maybe through someone else. Maybe through something that you've read. Maybe through a remembrance of a song. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. Hey, come on back. And that's proof that he's ultimately going to bring you all the way home. That's in a couple weeks at the end here of chapter 23 of a beautiful psalm. And so my prayer is that you see that God restores you. And don't look at it as, you know, God's beating you on the way back. No, he gently brings you back to the place where you were. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Take a time of reflection.